leadership. If no other time like the present that we need true leadership, it is the now. I had the opportunity to sit down with Principal Stacy Wyatt during this Women's History Month and speak to the importance of her leadership style as she calls herself a transformative leader and says there are no superheroes here. She provides the space and time that is needed for her students to achieve their best and be their best. So sit back with your coffee, your tea, your water during this quarantine time and ask yourself, what is your leadership style? This is Raquel J. at At The Red Door, CEO and founder saying, we all are true leaders. I really wanted to talk to women uh, about their leadership. And I know with you, there have been some things going on, but I really want to go beyond that and really talk about your leadership. And um, so before we get started, uh, I just, again, want to thank you for coming on. At the Red Door is really about empowering women, Black women, uh, and their community and in spaces that we normally don't show up in, or if we show up in, that we don't have the, we're not allowed to have the actual use our voice and our power. So um, thank you for coming on. And the first thing is, why don't you basically tell us who you are? Sure. Um, my name is Stacy Wyatt. Um, I am currently the principal at Longfellow Middle School in the Berkeley Unified School District, um, although I will be exiting that position at the end of this school year. Um, I have been a longtime educator in the Bay Area. Um, I've done quite a bit of community work in the uh, Bay Area as well, and I am an alum of the Omega Boys Club, now called Street Soldiers. Um, Yes, I'm one of the first folks they sent to college back in the day. Yes, that is wonderful to know. Wow. Yep. I'm sorry. So nope. No, that's it. No, no, no. And and of course, uh, I'm a mom, um, and and a wife. Those are that's it. Those are all great, (laughs) great, great things that we do. Besides just the we're we're so many multi dimensions and how we show up, and um, sometimes we can't necessarily put those things aside. We have to show up with all of that. So I guess my first thing question to you would: Why did you choose to become an educator or a leader in education? Absolutely. Uh, Well, um, interesting enough. As I was growing up, I always thought that I would be a lawyer or I would be a doctor. Of course, those were two major things you heard about a lot about growing up. Um, and, and what ended up happening, though, is while I was in school, I had to uh, write an essay. And it was an essay about, um, about crack babies and the number of crack babies that were going to flood the system. Again, mm-hmm. this was back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I grew up with uh, quite a bit of substance abuse in my family, this story really touched home for me. And I wrote an essay about it. 
And in the midst of writing that essay, I decided that education was the route that I wanted to take. So, um, so I got involved, but the more, as I became an educator and the more involved I got into teaching, there was always someone above you, you had to answer to. And even though I had, I would have wonderful success within my classroom, um, how things ran at the school level really weren't dependent on the things that I saw in my classroom or the things that I believed in. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and I just really just kept, you know, sort of fighting in my place and happy about the, the kids I came in contact with. And then a, a principal I had when I was working in Santa Clara Unified suggested, he said, you know, you really should think about uh, going into administration. The way that you engage with people and the way that you interact, I think would be it would be really beneficial for you. And once I started that process, it was it was incredible. I realized that you did have the ability to make decisions that could could benefit a larger range of students, um, and 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 that put me on my route. I mean, I I couldn't stop after that. It, 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 and that here I am. I had a I had a moment, and I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a moment where I, I even thought about becoming uh, a, a superintendent. And, and I think I may go back to that route at some point, but uh, really being able to affect change and speak for children uh, made me realize I had to keep pushing to higher levels of, of leadership in order to make that really happen. Well, you know, I, I also want to be transparent. You and I actually met when my youngest was at a middle school here in Oakland and um, you were very beneficial in helping me and supporting me through the um, difficult transition of how to navigate a system that really did not support parents. Right, uh, right. And so I, I'm very thankful for you and also for your opportunity to leave space so that parents can show up and be able to use their voice to advocate for not only their their children, but also for themselves. I think that that's, uh, I, 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 I thank you. I appreciate your um, you saying that. I think that that was the biggest thing that um, I didn't know uh, when I really started getting into teaching and in my classroom, because I started off in teaching in special education. And um, I was shocked at how little parents knew. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that I worked primarily in middle school and I was surprised at how little parents knew about their child's diagnosis, mm -hmm. how little they knew about what they should ask for. And this isn't just about, you know, lawyers and demanding a certain type of iPad or electronic equipment. I mean, literally people just didn't know anything about how their child's um, disability worked what what they should be expecting when they walk into a classroom what they shouldn't be expecting and it it became a real commitment um to children on my part to make that pathway really clear um and i tell people as an administrator that i tell teachers and whomever i work with that when parents walk through the door always make the assumption that they love their children Mm -hmm. And then if you move from that space that you, they love their child, they may not have all the answers. They may not even 
make the right choices. But if I know they love their child and I work from that standpoint, it's always going to be a respectful and beneficial interaction and for all involved. But if I put the children first, it's guaranteed. Well, I thank you for that because, um, you know, I, I, I have two children that I actually put into the Oakland Unified School District. Um, my, my oldest, my eldest child actually went to private school all of her life. And I really realized as a parent, it doesn't matter um, the type of institution that you send your child to, you still need to show up. And I right. think that the difficulty in it is really finding someone that can support you as you try to navigate your way through this process to figure out how to show up. You know, right. so many times they're um, being told to push back and to, you know, that this is not your place and you're not even welcome. So again, right. I, I thank you for having the know-how to say we need to leave space for parents to show up and to help them to navigate a system that sometimes doesn't always welcome them there. Yeah, I think that our system, and I think this is key. Well, let me say this. I just attended uh, the California Association of um, African-American Administrators and Superintendents uh, Conference. So how was that? Uh, in, Sac in Sacramento. How was um, that for you? It, it was incredible. And um, so many things I, I got to participate in, even though I've been an administrator for almost nine years now, this was the first time I had gone. And I, and I, it was, it was seriously um, something that was sorely missed from my little uh, cachet of tools and information because mm -hmm. it was so fulfilling. It was so powerful. Um, and part of the, what came up, I got an opportunity to, um, sit in on a on a panel of african-american women uh leaders in education and uh so much of what they said about staying true to yourself understanding what it means to be in the position you're in but more so um how to maintain your emotions and 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 come prepared to every situation was was so key in in sort of shoring me up uh, because one of the things that I think is really not a, it's not a, it, it may be a given for most African-American educators is, is that you want to be available for parents in that way. And I think a lot of African-American educators find themselves in that situation, sort of trying to help people navigate and support themselves. But as a leader, it is a very tricky place because it is also politics. Yes. You know, it's it's also being careful that in your commitment to to these families and to people who have been historically marginalized, that you um, you have to also be able to keep yourself in the game. And and even though I have been in this work for a long time, I really have been in spaces where I could just love on people and there was really no cost to it. Right. I, I didn't I didn't I could play the politics a little bit, but I didn't have to that much. And mm -hmm. I think that I it, and I think that as a leader, um, you're always going to have to make that decision on on whether or not you how much of the politics you're going to play. And, and so do you think think that um, as you have transitioned 
further into the realm of education, do you believe that there's more politics being played today than there was, say, even five, ten years ago? Um, well, I'll say that uh, ten years ago, I heard rumor about politics, but because I was in the classroom, I, I couldn't tell you if that were true. What I what I will say is that as an administrator now, I think that it is always a level of politics. I think mm-hmm. that, um, which I, I've heard you talk or seen you mention before, whether it's about voting or being involved and being aware. I think that um, as African-Americans trying to navigate the educational system or any system, the reality is that it's always going to have a certain amount of race and politics. So, so um, I don't know if it's if it's too mu- if it's more than pre- than, mm-hmm. than ten years ago. I just think it's there, and I think that as a leader, if you really want to commit to children, you have to learn how to engage in it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, oh, it, 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 it's supportive. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I um, it's so funny because I've had several people ask what part of OUSD I, I work in. And I always tell people, I, I don't work for OUSD. <laughs> <laughs> However, you better know the players and know how to figure out how to navigate to get what you need in order to be able to address your own needs. Because a lot of times you're not going to have someone who hands it to you on a platter. Right. And so I have um, been blessed enough to be able to see beyond, you know, the title of parent or guardian and know how, because of my work, know how to navigate through a system and be able to see all the players. And, and part of that is just, again, that's politics in a way. And then I, I, my voice is always saying, you know what, if, if we aren't being able to be heard at this level, then we need to go to the next level. And so oh, definitely, definitely. But um, a lot of people are afraid to do that, you know, because of fear of what may happen. And my, my thing is, what about the fact that what may happen anyway? So there's always going to be something that happens, whether or not you decide to move or navigate. But even when you stand still and do nothing, something still happens. So that's just critical. I think that it's really difficult for people to know and recognize the power that they have in themselves. And I'll, and I'll say that even, you know, from my own experience, I think that uh, I'm sure that your listeners and everyone has had this moment where they thought, I thought that a million times. Why didn't I, why didn't I write that book? Or why didn't I, why didn't I make that comment or write that article? Um, Because I think we all sort of carry this ability to lead, this ability to help affect change or bring about greatness and whatever we, we, we deem is important to us. I, but I do agree with you. I think there's a lot of fear I think there's fear in repercussion. There's fear in losing security. Um, I, I, as I said, I'm exiting um, Berkeley Unified. Uh, There absolutely was fear in that decision. I think for me, um, the way that in the end, I mean, there's of course more to the story that I won't get into, but, but in the end, um, as I mentioned in my farewell letter to everyone, I had to decide for me 
how do I want to move in the space in, of education and how I feel about children? And am I able to move in that way? And if I'm not, then it's time to move on. And, and it's a scary thing because um, I have been very lucky in that every place I've ever worked, I've, I've had incredible relationships with families and I've had incredible relationships with children and teachers. So anytime I'd make the step to move on, it is a very emotional thing. I have not had negative situations with any of those groups. So moving on hurts, but, but I want to be able to do the things that I believe are purposeful and meaningful for children. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like next, but mm -hmm. I know that um, I want to stop being fearful about about doing that for children, about doing that for families. And I don't want it to be dependent on, you know, uh, a certain level of security or worried about anything systemic or otherwise. I want to be able to to be there for people in the right way. So so uh, I'm trying to do what, what you just mentioned. I'm trying to take that jump and just say, don't be afraid. You're going to land well. Your heart's in the right place. And, um, and, 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 you know, blessings will come. Blessings will come. What would you consider your management leadership style? Um, I call myself a transformative leader. Um, I used to, uh, and, and I used to, I used to say that, uh, I, because I was willing to roll up my sleeves and sort of uh, jump into the fray. If, if I need to sub a class, I'll sub a class. Um, that, that uh, um, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting the phrase right now, but a more, I was a more cooperative or, or co, I coexisted with folks. Um, but, I, but I like to call myself a transformative leader now because I look at leadership not so much as um, top down, it's really mm -hmm. my job to really help people find their agency and find uh, and build their capacity. Um, I think particularly in urban education, if we're going to make it the best that it can be, if we're going to expect, again, marginalized communities to survive it, then there can't be superheroes, right? There can't be this one person that's going to change everything. So my job is to help everyone in the building build their capacity so that all of the children we work with have a higher chance of success. Um, and that is a much more transforming um, mission than directive, than proving that I have all of the right answers. Leaving that space so that um, anybody can try to continue the work that we might've started together or they can take those skills in that, in that mindset other places is way more powerful and way more sustainable than just me showing that I have the answers and that, that I'm the person you should follow. I want you to leave um, or work with me knowing that, you, that we all have something someone should follow. So I would say a transformative leader. And that's really talking about that you are the leader that is building up other leaders. Exactly. Uh, that is critical to understand that you cannot do it alone and you burn out. So exactly. with that being said, you have to 
help others find their own leadership role and step into that so that as a collective, we are trying to do the best we can holistically. And there's not just one person and that person's being burned out. It, there, I don't think there's any other way to it. I think that if it, if it continues to fall on one or two people, our children are lost. Um, there, yeah. you, you, you have to walk into a building and know you're not alone. And, and that takes time. I mean, that takes time for that trust to build. That takes time for people to believe in themselves. Um, and it takes time, especially in situations where children have not seen that or families have not seen it on a regular basis. It takes time to build that trust muscle as well. Um, but once it happens, um, people start to believe they could do anything. And, and that is, uh, in my previous school in, in Oakland, um, I worked uh, at, a, I was the principal at Alliance Academy. And I would say by our third year, it was, it was abundantly clear that everyone believed in the possibilities and the children were able to speak on it and act on it. And we um, started off the, the four years together um, at the bottom of the of the rung and everything and all of our test scores. And by the time uh, we closed out uh, because of the the schools needing to um, be consolidated, our children were able to literally discuss what were their what were the standards that they enjoyed the most for that school year. They were able to present their work and present their understanding and present them in direct and creative ways. And that was built off of us building this muscle in everyone that we were that everything was possible that we that we were capable of making this together um i will say the hardest part about that as a leader being that type of leader is that uh you you don't get any shine <laughs> you, you, you don't get any shine and usually it doesn't come until after you're gone so you yeah really you really have to find other ways to feel good about your work as a leader, because it is a very, uh, I mean, you know, you're just, it's just not based off of titles. It's based off of community and, um, and, and, and sustainability in my mind, but you have to find other ways. So I do a lot of hugging, smiling, laughing, um, and that gets me through it. That is good. Why do you think the turnover rate is so high for principals and particularly those working in schools with large populations of minority students and students from low-income families? Um, I would say, in my opinion, uh, the, the expectation for change and growth is pretty high. Um, mm -hmm. I think that people really especially if they if if they think that the leader is capable or is really strong that they expect to see change fairly immediately um and and i and and the reality is is that we are in this boat because um slavery colonization uh institutionalized racism took many many mm -hmm. years to kind of get us there so right. the idea that you're going to shift all of these social dynamics that have placed us there in a matter of two or even three years is not really a, is an unrealistic goal. 
And I think that mm-hmm. for many leaders, whether they're the expectations from the outside or even internal expectations to make that shift so immediately becomes disappointing or overwhelming. So I, I think that's why you lose a lot of people um, because there, there's, it's a, it's a ask that is nearly impossible in the time frame that's given. It doesn't mean that it can't happen, um, but if you want it to happen as quickly as most, as most leaders are being asked to make it happen, then there needs there need to be a huge amount of systemic change to make that a reality. Hmm. So are we talking about then there has to also be a mind shift for districts to look at how they are best trying to support the uh, principals in these positions to be able to do systemically long-term planning instead of short-term planning with this, what they hope to have this grandiose outcome. Sure. Um, Districts, I think, uh, but I would say even larger than the district is really the federal government. Um, I think that, I think that funding and, and money that is dependent on test scores really puts folks at a disadvantage that we, that have already been stated, right? The, all these disadvantages mm-hmm. and biases mm-hmm. around test scores, um, yet uh, school districts aren't funded in a way that allow for a larger level of creativity in how you teach students or support teachers. Right. Or even support and grow your leaders of schools. It's everything is really at a state like people are educators are constantly put in a state of emergency and and being asked to answer things in a state of emergency. Um, And that is just not how you I'll say this a million times from now, how you rear children and education is a is a huge part of rearing children, even if they're not ours. So there's right. so and, and and it's one of the few places where this type of ask is being made of educators to immediately affect change and with the most minimal of resources and with the most minimal of experience when that doesn't happen in most places. In most places, you're allowed to grow, you're allowed to um make mistakes. Uh, so, so yes, districts need to shift their mindset, but I would probably say that there needs to be a nationwide shift in what education means and what it, and what is productive and useful for students, um, to be their best. So with that being said, let's shift down to your, to schools and your school in particular. Mm-hmm. What do you view as your most important contribution to the daily operations of your school? Like, what are you giving that you have seen that they need in order to sustain them um, on a continual basis? Sure. Um, I'm going to say that uh, really pushing to students that they are seen and heard and that I think that they are capable right? Mm -hmm. Um, This seems like it's not a big deal or what I find is most people assume that I'm just super positive, right? Like that's all, you know, that that's what I'm doing. I'm such a positive person. Um, But in reality, my experience, my life experience, and as I mentioned, being um, a, a scholarship recipient from the Omega Boys Club, they, I learned this from them. They looked at us and said, you are capable 
you are capable of not only being a successful student, you are capable of being a, a change agent in the world. And guess how much I believe in you and believe in your ability to do that. I'm going to fund your entire college career because I know you can do it. And all I want you to do is be committed to success and do the right things for yourself and your community. And the success rate for us was huge. And what most of us have, after we've graduated, have done and gone out into the world is it's palpable, especially here in the Bay Area. So I know that if you create a space where students, again, particularly students who have been marginalized, but really all students, where they know that someone believes in them, um, uh, uh, un has unlimited belief in them, they will step up to the plate. And so um, that to me changes the dynamics of the classroom. It changes how your students walk in. It changes how they respect the teacher. It changes how hard they work on something that they're learning, which in turn motivates the teacher to, become, to come with more rigor and be more excited about the work that they're doing, which makes a parent feel more excited about the success in the classroom. So it, it starting from that real point of, of letting students know that they are not unseen, they're not invisible, and that they're capable is huge. It just doesn't, it doesn't check off a box. So, so it's a, it's a hard ask for many people um, to ask them to believe that, that starting there is a good starting point versus a reading program, which is important too, or versus suspension or higher discipline or whatever else people think are the things that make kids want to be in school and not only want to be there, but want to be scholars. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that when we begin to build up our students and really let them know that they're capable and that we believe in them, then we'll see also a drastic understanding of how they show up. Right. And, and, and I, and I'm saying this because in my experience, once, and I, I mean, people, the simple answer is love, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but in my experience, I can ask kids almost anything because they know I love them. Mm -hmm. I can, I walk into a room and people will say, oh, well, you're the principal. So they listened because you're the principal. No, that happened in my classroom too. Mm -hmm. Right. Because mm -hmm. it, it, I said, I love you. But it doesn't mean, and it means, I, and I want the best from you, and I'm going to challenge you on an everyday basis, and students step up to the plate always. And the same with, with teachers. When I sit down with them and I say, I love you, I'm not looking for gotchas, but I want the best out of you. I want to help you connect why you stepped into education. What is it that you want kids to come out of the classroom with? They have all when they've engaged with me, let me be clear, when they've engaged with me willingly in that fashion, they have all grown. Mm. Mm. That's kind of how something, um, I think Dr. Marshall may have also been, I, I've talked to him about education on a couple of uh, different times and really looking at that same format of, we gotta love one another in order to then allow people to trust. Right. Right. And I think for many people, especially new teachers or teachers who aren't familiar with communities of color, they sometimes think that uh, 
Love means you have to hug everybody every day and you have to be okay with everything that they're doing. And and in my opinion, no, love just means that you are authentic about understanding what space you are in with, with the people you're in that space with, in, with. So you understand what's happened to them. You know, all the things behind culturally responsive teaching. You understand mistakes that you make and you're open to making those adjustments and you're open to asking hard questions or asking hard demands of of students and of one another. And of one another. That's love. That is love. It's not, I hug a lot. I'm surprised I have not gotten sick. I hug a lot, but that's not that's not the key. The bigger question or the bigger thing that's happening is the conversation in between those hugs. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the hard asks about why did you make that choice and what other choice can you make? And then and then the willingness to say, I'm here. I'm here to be with you to help you make that better choice. So you are providing all of this support, not only to the children, to your staff. How often are principals getting feedback or support on their own performance, either in the form of a, a, an annual evaluation or some, uh, some more informal challenges? But I really want to know also, how are principals getting the tools and resources they need mm-hmm. in order to be the best that they could be? Right. Well, I've had two major, the two major experiences, I would say, is between Berkeley and Oakland Unified. Um, Both had immediate supervisors who come in, check out your school, walk through with you on a regular basis. And then, of course, the annual evaluation. Um, I will say that uh, one of the things that I really liked about Oakland was that um, at least I, I can't speak for prior to my time as an administrator, but when I was there as an administrator, having that, I think we met every week or every other week and had a whole day where as it, as a middle school administrators, we got to speak with each other. We got to examine district asks and help each other prepare to, for those deliverables. We got to share best practices. So there was all this time where you were able to bounce off information with other people. And then the people who really had it down were really willing to hand you anything. They'd give you their Excel sheets, everything. And so that was huge. Um, in, in Berkeley, there's a lot of conversation. We meet on a weekly basis as well, not all day, but you're given a lot of information and you do have a chance to talk with each other. It wasn't as deeply as Oakland did, but you did have a chance to talk with one another. Um, I don't think that there is a direct formal way that most people make sure administrators are trained. But I think that that's the same again for all educators. Like we're all kind of jump, you jump into the fire and you just start swimming, fighting, you know, trying to throw water on it wherever you can. And you sort of learn as you, as you work. Um, I think that the dynamics of schools right now or the way that schools are designed really don't leave a lot of room for that. Um, I will say that one of the things that I do like that Berkeley does is that it partnered with um, the principal um, with PLI at UC Berkeley and provided African-American administrators at least with coaches to try to support them through the uh, process of uh, being an administrator in Berkeley. So there, I think the different districts try different things, but 
should there be a formal way to make sure people are are um, shored up and continuing to grow? Uh, yes, and I and I don't I don't I think that that's probably going to have to be again one of those larger changes so that we can stop working from a a, a, a reactionary stance all the time. Hmm. So I guess then um, when we talk about leadership for, especially for educators of color, um, are we getting the support that we need in order to do these types of advancements into the new roles of principals or even up to the elevated role of administration at the district level? Are we getting the, the desires or the information or the mentoring that is needed to make these jumps and are people willing to do that? I think it's always, you're always going to need more. I mean, I, I, so historically I don't tend to get into too many debates about whether it's the district versus the site. Um, I just, mm -hmm. I've made that a practice in my, in my practice as an administrator, just throughout my my eight years as an administrator, mostly because I, I really feel like I understand the larger picture, which is this idea that funding and and the and, and again the way that schools are structured um, really force you to either have to think completely outside of the box or you just don't have the time to do the things that are clearly needed to prepare anyone that's teachers, mm -hmm. administrators, or anyone. And so I, I think that districts can try to offer more, but I also recognize that they are often limited by the funding, the time structures, the expectations that come from um, above them. So, so the short, so that's the long answer. The short answer is no, I don't think there's enough. I think that um, the same things that teachers of color struggle with, um, as far as getting enough of us in the classroom, enough of us to be able to pass the tests, enough of us to stay in the classrooms, mm -hmm. um, are the same things for administrators of color. But I think then there's also that key political piece. And no matter what we want to say, politics go hand in hand with race. And so if, 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 if we don't have something in place in particular for leaders of color to have them ready to sort of deal with the politics and the racial component, um, we're going to always have a shortage of those leaders. Uh, so, so I think that um, I don't know if that comes from the district or if that comes from um, from uh, at you know leader admin programs, credential programs. Most likely, it should probably start there. That you you have right. to come in prepared. Uh, and I know that the programs that I've participated in have been great and have dealt with equity, um, but mostly the equity has been around equity for children and did not have much conversation about what that equity meant for me personally, <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and what do I have to be prepared for? So there needs to be something that is real, like to talk about it for real. And I just don't, I don't think that there's anything yet. If it is, I'd like to know where. So we aren't having those conversations that we really need to have in order to do that, that basic foundation before you even get to the school site itself. Sure, definitely. Uh, and again, is it never, is it not happening anywhere? I'm sure it's happening somewhere. As I mentioned, I went to this conference and I thought, how did I not know this existed? 
Like what, how did, how did I go through eight years of being an administrator and I missed this, <laughs> you know? So, so being able to make sure you connect administrators of color with support systems like CASA, right? And, um, and, uh, and, and starting in the programs is critical. Right. Yes. So I'm going to kind of lead down into the end of our conversation with community centers. Mm -hmm. And I really just, I, I look at, look at always supporting community because when I grew up, um, I was supported by community and whether that was the neighbors next door, or even I tell people the first African-American school board member was our um, BSU representative at my high school. Mm -hmm. And she supported us to make sure we had the resources and tools we needed to be able to, to sustain us in an environment where people didn't look like us. Right. So with that being said, our community centers um, really are made up of our families, the children, even private sector. How do, how do you as a, a school leader engage with those other aspects outside of the school to be able to make sure you can support what that looks like as children come from those communities and be able to understand how we can fully communicate with parents. And I think you've talked about that a little mm -hmm. bit, but I'm saying there are other, nowadays there's other agencies right. out there that are trying to support parents or mm -hmm. in essence, trying to provide more resources and tools. Right. How do you try to balance all of that together mm -hmm. to be really self-sufficient self yeah. in the fact that we're trying to be the best we can right. with everybody coming at you? Right. Well, I'll, I'll say in full transparency, I could probably have done better with that as, as mm -hmm. an administrator. I always welcomed agencies and I tried to understand which agencies were most involved with students, right? And and tried to figure out whenever they came to me to build partnerships. And I think that that was probably, which is why I say I could have done better as an administrator, is that I would say looking out, finding out that information, where are students engaged, where are our families finding their most support and then actively reaching out to those agencies and asking them to come in and participate in activities with our parents. I know that there are administrators who do that, but I would probably argue that most administrators wait for those agencies to come to them and either ask for space on the site or ask to do something with the parents and, um, and I think it's, it, it is definitely a key resource that's not used to its fullest. Um, and, and again, to keep going back, you know, to sort of go back to that important political point. I mean, and, and you don't want to say things are political because education is supposed to be about children. But anytime you are doing something that could level the playing field or put someone um, or, or, or sort of break through the the uh the systemic uh barriers that have been put in place you're playing politics so anytime you're yeah. anytime you're interrupting that's interrupting 
miseducation and interrupting racial systems, racist systems, you're playing politics. So the smart thing to do would be to reach out to those communities, build allegiance, build support, have them come in and support your families in the way that the families are most used to. So I think it I think it's massively important. I think it's probably just as massively underutilized. I wouldn't want to say that every educator, I mean every every leader, educational leader underutilizes it, but I would say that um, from my experience, most wait for someone to approach them. And, and I would say that it, it, it would be the, one of the strongest things that you could do for your community and for your students and families to reach out to those, to those places. Um, and I would also say that, especially in communities of struggle, it probably wouldn't hurt if those organizations had some alliances when it came to the schools. So it wouldn't turn into a competitive point for the school to engage, right? I, I don't want to have to choose right. between, you know, First Baptist Church and First Calvary Church, Baptist Church. I We're all the same community. So those could, those entities become a partner when it comes to our schools. Right. Then it just then it's just about yes, the children. Yes. Um, so definitely an underused resource, underutilized resource. I'll step up to the plate and say underutilized by me, because I'm sure there's some leaders that would say, oh, no, I do that all the time. But but um, I would also say that it would be lovely if the agency spoke to one another. And then, then we had some system to engage with our schools that that was supportive of the whole community. Some plan. I don't. I just. I don't know right. if we ever have a plan. Again, we we react, and we sh and we and we we may even protest or show up, but I don't. I think as and I'll say in particular of urban schools in schools uh, schools of color, we don't have an actual plan of engagement between communities and schools. And that should be in place always, every time, every day. Right, so, so true. Well, Principal Stacy Wyatt, it has been a pleasure to, to just conversate with you this evening. I thank you for your time. I'm going to turn it over to you to get the last word mm -hmm. or your whatever it is that you want to say to the community members but i thank you for your time because this has been really valuable oh, you're welcome and hearing about your leadership you're welcome. and then also understanding what we can do as community to support people like yourself oh, thank you i appreciate it um i'm really glad i got a chance to come on and speak with you i have a high level of respect for you and the work that you do in the community um I am going to put out there that there is power and energy everywhere. Um, I, I think that there is no growth for our society if all children don't grow, if we don't understand that all people, adults who engage with these children are capable. Um, my hope and what I will hope to do as I move forward is that we find avenues to open up doors to build relationships and build alliances for the sake of children um, that that as our community is changing and shifting with new people moving in with gentrification that that we don't stifle ourselves with um i don't know with uh you know sort of slot fault with click clickish behavior or, or, or forget yes. that, that everyone is capable. 
there there is you know martin luther king had many many people behind him supporting and leading and helping him lead and people right there on the line with him so that's our strength in making sure that we build up everyone that we come in contact with if we really want a sustainable change that's so that's so true thank you so much again remember community your voice matters you do have a plate I'll say a plate at the table because my thing is you can be sitting at the table, but you don't have anything to eat on. And so we need to make sure that we provide you with the tools and resources to be able to not only sit at the table, but eat and get fed at the table. That's right. I got snaps for you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I look forward to whatever the next season is for you, because I know that there is much out there as the door closes, the others are able to open up. So I look forward to seeing where you go. I look forward to continually supporting you. And if there's anything I can do, please let me know. I appreciate it. Have a good. This is Raquel J. with At The Red Door. I hope you enjoyed the episode on leadership and found yourself asking, what is my leadership style? How do I use it daily? How do I show up in it? And what does it look like to others on the outside? If you can take the time to please hit the like button, I'd so appreciate it so that we can continue to be able to get to you each episode and not miss one. Leave your comments too for us and suggestions on anything that you'd like to hear us speak to. Again, At The Red Door is about how you walk through to the other side of what is waiting for you. Peace.